women who have survived unthinkable and unspeakable violence behind the closed doors of their own homes are speaking out more than ever before. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the stories and journeys of women survivors turned entrepreneurs and how they use their strength and tenacity to help other women move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Flow Rising. This show contains adult topics and often contains triggering stories. Audience discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Flow Rising. I am your host, Megan, and today I am joined by my guest, Brooke. We are going to talk all about healing the mother wound after growing up with narcissistic mothers and some of the great work she's doing with other women to help them heal their own mother wounds. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into the fun topic of narcissistic mothers and sharing some of our own personal stories, because I know we have similar backgrounds, share with us a little bit, because we always start the show with where you are and the type of work that you do and the people that you serve. So share with the audience just a little bit about your coaching and the things that you do today. Okay. Well, um, I live in Shropshire in the UK, which is kind of right, right next door to Wales for anybody that doesn't know the UK very well. And I help midlife women to release and heal from the trauma, from childhood trauma, especially those who've been through um, growing up with a narcissistic mother, um, having my own personal experience and trained as a trauma coach. Um, it just seemed like the obvious thing to do. And I know what it feels like to not have feel worthy and feel good enough and feel lovable. And so I've, I'm on a mission to raise the awareness of the mother wound and the effect that it has on, on women in their midlife, you know, on their business and their personal life and their professional life and how they can like actually change from that. They don't have to be stuck where they are and feeling like they have to do the things that they think they should do because that's what their mother's always told them all their life. They can live the life that they really want to live, how they want to live it. So I'm, I'm really on a big mission to raise the awareness of that. You know, because often people say, well, that's just the way my mother was. And, you know, uh, that's OK. But actually, it isn't OK because it's affected you in some way, shape or form and stopped you moving forward and however you want to move forward. So I always like to make sure that people are living the life that they really want to live and enjoy the life that they want to live, however they want to live it. And it's different for everybody. It is. It is very different. I think it's interesting when we those of us who were raised with narcissistic mothers who once we realize that it just, you get a whole new take on, oh, oh, okay. I actually have choice. I actually can choose mm. the change in my life. And I know that you do a lot of that with your clients and empowering them to go, oh, I can, I can embrace something that maybe goes completely against how I was raised Absolutely. and find a lot of freedom in that. Um, so I know that your personal story, we do talk a lot about personal stories here in the show, um, is that, you know, you yourself had a narcissistic mother. So what was some of the things as you started coming to awareness of that, what were some of the ways that you found awareness and what were the things that you discovered about yourself as you began that healing journey for, for yourself? It's a lot to do with the beliefs and stories that were running sort of through, through my mind thinking, oh, I can't do this because, you know. I'm not capable of doing that because I was brought up being told that you know, if I if I did this, nobody would believe me or people would laugh at me. Who would listen to somebody like me? And so it's like 
I had this fear of actually being seen and being heard because as a child, when I was when I spoke out, I got into trouble either physically or verbally, and and that kind of stayed with me. So um, even though I worked a lot on my mindset, you know, when I left home, thinking right, if I get a really strong mindset, that I would be able to do these things, and I did have a really strong mindset, and I kind of pushed through and did that, feel the fear and do it anyway. But actually, once I discovered about how trauma is stored in the body, and I could release it, it was like, okay, this fear's come up. Let's get curious why this fear's come up. Let's acknowledge it. Let's let's deal with it. Let's release it, and then we can go on and actually enjoy doing what we want to go ahead and do without that feeling of having a pounding heart, sweaty palms, a dry mouth, and actually really enjoy doing whatever we want to do. So. It, it was like I spent a lot of time working on my mindset, but realized actually the missing piece of the puddle was actually working on the trauma that was stored in my body. And once I started to release that, then things started to change in an amazing way. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's interesting how often my guests and I talk about that, but it is so true for the audience who's listening. Our bodies store trauma more than our minds do. Like it's ama- our minds are beautiful, amazing, wonderful things. They can compartmentalize and help you not be present in situations, but our bodies don't get that. It, it gets yeah. stuck and it gets stored. Um, and yeah, that, that releasing helps you kind of find new ways to move forward. Um, so specifically about narcissistic mothers, let's talk about that. <laughs> How does that, I mean, we, you hear the term narcissist a lot, you hear narcissistic and things like that, but specifically having a mother like that, how does that show up? Like, what are some things that people see or notice or like, oh, wow, I never knew my mom was a narcissist, but yeah, she does that kind of thing. It's, it's that, um, like treading on eggshell thinking, oh, I can't, can't say that in front of my mother because it'll upset her. Or I mustn't say that. I mustn't mention so-and-so because it'll upset her. Oh, I need to make sure that, you know, I do this career because, you know, that's what my mother expected of me. They expect, you know, they, they live through you. And it's like, they don't see you as a, an individual person. They see you as an extension of themselves. And they like to mould you how it suits them. So like, they want you to go into the career they expected you to go into. They rely on you for their happiness. And I often heard as a child, oh, how could you do that to me after all I've done for you? You've gone and done that. And, and it may be that I wanted to go off and, and play with my friends rather than stay at home and and do something that she wanted to do so you know from a very early age I got that oh I need to make sure everybody else is is happy and everybody else's feelings are more important than mine because you you realize very quickly that actually our feelings aren't important so we kind of suppress them rather than express them because we know it's not safe to express them and we learn to be a huge huge people pleaser and that can really affect us in our adult life because we often want to say oh actually I don't agree with it but I won't because we get this feeling in our body and it, and it takes us back to like when we were five six year old helpless with our mother going how dare you say that after all I've done for you so we just keep quiet and let people kind of walk all over us and, and we do things to, to please other people and make sure they're okay and not worry about ourselves. Yeah that's I shared with you when I, when we first met that that realizing my mother was a narcissist is super recent for me. You know, I, I started healing from my marriage. I thought, oh, you know, very obviously abusive marriage. This is what I'm healing from and went, oh, no, 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 no. This goes all the way back to four or five, six years old when, mm-hmm. like you said, that, that walking on eggshells feeling, or I can remember um, no birthday party that I ever had until I was an adult was about me. Mm. 
Absolutely, every yeah. I used to I used to call, I won't say my mother's name because I don't I choose not to but it was her show you know oh it's it's time to go put on the show and this is yeah. this is for for her not for me even though it's my birthday so I always thought I hated my birthday up until my 40th birthday which was only two years ago and I went oh no I I can I can have the center of attention for a day oh wow and I enjoy it oh okay it just, it's one of those things that you don't realize until you start looking at it from a different mm. perspective. And that's what I love with working with my clients when they get that aha moment, that like, oh my goodness, I can do this. And it's okay to do that because I'm not going to, I'm not really that six-year-old that's going to get into trouble if I do X, Y, and Z or whatever it is I want to, want to do. And the relief that comes over them and the realization that actually I'm okay. I am safe as I am as an adult. Yeah. And it seems, it, it seems interesting to me to say it when I'm like, yeah, that, that seems to make obvious sense, but it really, it's so hardwired in us. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that that's, that's one of the beautiful things I talk about a lot is that we get the gift of being able to rewire our, by our ner nervous systems and how we think. And like you said, it's not just the mindset piece. Um, so what is it something like you talked about, you know, releasing and doing body work and that kind of stuff. What are some ways that you, are there specific practices you use? I know there's all kinds of different techniques. What are some things that either you use for yourself and, or with your clients that you found that really help, you know, that releasing piece from the body? Yeah, I, I do a lot of work with it. It's called somatic um, reprogramming and working with the inner child and noticing how people are feeling. And it's a lot about talking about how they're feeling in their body. Like, you know, if they say, I, I feel really angry, like, how do you know? Where do you feel that in your body? Because, you know, we can be very much sort of like neck upwards thinking and it's like not actually feeling in our body. Because when we were children, we soon quickly realized it wasn't safe to feel. So we kind of switched off and, and kind of suppressed all that, you know. And I heard somebody mention on a podcast, and I thought that's brilliant. You know, we hear a lot of people saying they're depressed because they're depressing their feelings into their body, you know. And it's like, my goodness, yes, it sums it up, you know, because we suppress our feelings you know we're supposed to actually express our feelings because feelings and emotions are just feelings and emotions there's no right or wrong ones you know i believe but you know, we're brought up to believe and I actually actually sent an email out yesterday to my email list about anger we're brought up to believe that it's wrong to be angry and if you're angry you're not a good girl and good girls don't get love so it's very conditional type of type of love so it's letting people know it's okay to to release those things you know and to be angry and i often get my clients to actually express that anger while they're on a call with me and the, the release that they get from that is absolutely amazing or i'll send them off to, to do something you know like find a pillow and just really slowly punch it rather than like erratically like punching it like mad, but actually really slowly. So your body can feel the anger coming out and releasing it, which is a very, very powerful way to do that. And I also use um, something that's called brain spotting, which is very, very powerful. Um, I absolutely love that. My clients think I've got, because I use a pointer and it's like, they have to watch the pointer and, and, and I call it my magic wand. And they're like, oh, I don't know what sort of magic you've done there, but I feel so amazing. I can actually feel this trauma coming out of my body. And it's like, there's all different sensations and stuff going, going on because it's a great way to sort of really get into the amygdala where, where the fight, flight or freeze um, feelings are stored. And it's kind of like opens a little window to, to release all those. And it's, I've, I've had it done on myself, so I know how powerful it is. And, and I absolutely loved it on my clients and see the difference in them afterwards. And, and their face is like, 
I'm not kind of sure what you've done, but it feels really, really good. So, so yeah, there's quite a few different tools and techniques I love to study and I'm, I'm very sort of, um, research based. So I like to find out all the different ways and, and do different things. I use my intuition a lot. So I kind of com combine all, all of them together and use different uh, modalities and kind of mix them all together to sort of like for my own kind of <laughs> way of releasing things with different clients, yeah. depending on what they need at the time. Yeah, no. And I think it's important for anybody who, you know, if, if, if you're doing some work for yourself, because working with, you know, a coach or a therapist or things like that, that's just the learning process. That's just the, but then when you're doing your own work is to really just take on, oh, that worked for me. That didn't work for me. Like, mm. Mm, yeah. Cause there was sometimes, um, yoga in the beginning didn't, you know, oh, yoga is great. You should really try yoga, yoga. And I, I would find myself, um, like physically capable of doing the move, the movements, but I'd get into certain positions and it was like, I, like I would, it would be triggering. And I was like, what yeah. is going on? And then I found trauma-informed yoga, which was a little gentler. So I was able to actually move some stuff from my body till I could get into the more physical, active forms of yoga. Um, so yeah, I think it's important that you say, you know, what works for you works for you. There's no one yeah. prescription for how to actually heal that stuff. Yeah, because cause sometimes I, I'll, and I've talked to people about brain spotting and I bring out my, my magic wonders, I call it. People sometimes go, but what if, what if it doesn't work with me? Well, mm. that's okay. We'll just put the wand, wand away and just, you know, try something different and it's okay. And the minute I say that they relax and it, it, it works for them because they're not worried about it not working then because they know that something else and it's being very aware of working with my clients. I only ever go to the, to the, to the pace that their nervous system can, can deal with things. So yeah. I'm always constantly like reassuring them. Like with my, normally my first session, they don't feel like they've done too much work and stuff. But what I do is I get their nervous system to start trusting me and feeling safe with me. And it, once I explain it to them, like, oh, yeah, I did feel really, really safe. I, I don't know how you did that, but, yes, I felt really, really safe. And I just, and they often say to me, oh, my goodness, I've never told anybody that in my life before, but it just felt right to say it to you. And I feel so much better for, like, like talking about it and we can start to process all those things, you know, that, that they've, they've maybe, you know, had hidden for, for years and years and years, depending on the trauma. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And, and I think that's the other thing that's, especially with the narcissistic type of abuse, it, in my case, it, it manifested physically sometimes. And I think for, for some people, there is that physical discomfort, but I just had a realization this week where like, I don't, I don't really enjoy crying and crying is so cathartic. And, and sometimes all of a sudden I'll just be like having days where I'm like, I can't stop. What is wrong with me? What is, you know, and judging myself. And I finally realized this week, just sitting and kind of meditating on it. My mother, my narcissistic mother only cried when she was angry. And yeah. that meant I was in a, in a not safe space because something was going to happen to me, you know, and I'm the middle of three. So I was the whipping child. And then she, the other two inadvertently were the golden child off and on. And we can talk about that in a minute, but it, no matter what mom got mad about, it was always going to come back to me. So I learned, oh, crying equals anger equals we don't do that. Like you said, anger's not allowed. So crying wasn't allowed. And so, and I was just like, oh, and so just a few days ago, like I was feeling really angry and I was like, I need to cry. And I, I start, you know, I was home alone. I started screaming. And then all of a sudden it was just like coming out. I was like, 
oh, this. And so it's those things that you start to realize that they, it, it felt subtle as a child because it just felt so normal. Like, isn't everybody's mother like this? This is just how it's yeah. supposed to be. Whereas I wasn't allowed to cry because any time I cried, my mother would say, stop crying or I'll give you something really to cry for. So I learned not to cry. And I didn't cry for years and years and years until I started having therapy. And then it came out like a tsunami. It's like, whoa, it's like, you know, years and years and years of tears. I thought, is it ever going to stop? You know, but like you say, it, it, and it was very, very cathartic and it was very, very cleansing. But, you know, um, and I actually celebrate and I, and I often quite talk about it in my Facebook lives and stuff. I celebrate when my clients cry because it's like, yes, we're getting somewhere now. And they're like, Oh, I'm really, really sorry. I'm like, absolutely not. It's, it's really, really perfect. I don't know why I'm crying. I never cry. I don't know why I'm crying in front of you. It's because you feel safe to cry and it's okay to cry and there's nothing wrong with crying. But we all, you know, especially like midlife women are brought up to, you know, okay, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry for. Or like, you know, it's wrong to cry because, you know, good girls don't cry, you know, and don't get angry and don't cry and do this. So, so it's that realisation that actually, again, rewiring that thought process and your nervous system to actually crying is a really, really good thing to do because children do it naturally. They'll, they'll fall over, they'll cry, they'll cry out, get up and then go off and play. But it's our mo the mothers that have got those inner child wounds are, oh, I don't want people to see my child cry. So don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And the children then end up not crying because it's how the mothers feel bad about it. But it's just let them cry out. You know, when my grandchildren fall over, I'm like, yeah, just just cry it out. You'll feel so much better after. It's like, thanks, gra Grandma. You know, they do that really like. Yeah, yeah. Well, then they're and, done, yeah. and then they're done, and and they yeah. and like you said, then they get up and all smiles, and we're gonna play. And, yeah. yeah. And so I, I find just, that too. The trauma's not stored in their bodies then because they've, they've released it because whatever hurt them when they fell over or whatever, they didn't have to like hold in that feeling, you know, and mm -hmm. I give them a hug to reassure that, okay, well, when I cry, I get a hug and it's good. So it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. There's that. And I think that's the other piece is that, you know, as, as adult women, you know, daughters of narcissistic mothers, we didn't get the external validation when we needed it. Mm. which was in childhood because your grandchildren, for example, or I, I, oh, I'm a research person. I'm going to get it wrong, but there's under a certain age. I think it's nine or something that we actually require that adult to go, no, crying's good. You're safe. Okay. Now go off and be happy. And, and that's, that's how we process yeah. emotion. And when we're denied that, then we don't like, we require external validation, which gets us into codependent, toxic and abusive relationships as adults. Absolutely. So a lot of women will end up, like I said, I left an abusive marriage thinking the marriage was the problem. And then I started healing myself and went, there is so much more here than just, yes, the marriage was terrible. Yes. The abuse was terrible, but it goes back farther. I have more to heal. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you see that a lot with your clients that they come in, you know, maybe, maybe my, my, my husband's a narcissist. And so I, I'm dealing with narcissistic and you're like, well, actually, and then you start uncovering no, there's more. Yeah. Because it's just like, okay, why did you connect with a narcissist partner in the first place? It's because you had that low self-esteem, people please and no confidence. Where did that come from? From having a narcissistic parent that didn't make you feel validated and heard and seen. Yeah. And that's, it, it's interesting that, you know, that self-worth, that, that not feeling heard, not feeling seen. I mean, yeah, my, my, my trauma trigger used to be an 
I've worked through enough. Yes, I still get triggered. That's the other thing I say in the shows. You're always going to get triggered. Like things in life will trigger you. And I used to do the, oh, nope, shut down. I can't say anything. Nope, nope. World's not safe. Can't say anything. And now it's like, I just, I just acknowledge, okay, I'm triggered right now. And we're just going to sit with that because these emotions are just telling me something. They're not, like you said, no good, no bad. But we didn't learn how to process them at all. No, it's just a, it just was a thing. So let's circle back because I kind of mentioned it and some people may not know what I mean when I say whipping child, golden child. Were you an only child? Did you have siblings or how did that show up for you as a child? No, I, I've got a brother and he was a golden child and I was a scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. So explain a little bit to the audience about what that means. Because a lot of people are like, I don't understand. I mean, it makes sense once you hear it, but what does that mean? Yeah. Oh, well, basically uh, the golden child is, is, as it sort of sounds it's like they could do no wrong regardless of whatever they did and they they can often turn out to be a narcissist themselves fortunately my brother isn't and he hated being like the golden child and they can be under a lot of pressure because they they feel that they need to perform to keep getting that that you know the love that way by being being the best at whatever they need to be at and the scapegoat is often the truth teller and that's why they're the scapegoat as well because um the narcissistic parent will try to keep them small to keep them quiet so they don't tell everybody about the trauma and things that are going on in the house because when you've you've had a traumatic childhood and narcissistic parent it's kind of the unspoken rule that what goes on in the house stays in the house you don't mention it outside of the house because the outside world we are perfect functional happy family and we just have to have that I'm fine smile on our face when we go out regardless of how we're feeling underneath that and anything that went wrong in the house was my fault and I was I was to blame for it, even if I wasn't there because she took it all out of me. You know, her anger, I was like a punch bag. Anything that went wrong in her world, it was my fault and it, I caused it for some way, shape or form. You know, and she would go completely around the houses to, to bring it back to me in some – and sometimes it's like, my goodness, you know, I've you've really gone around the houses to turn it right around back to me again but – you know, that's the way that they had to deal with their emotion because narcissistic parents are really, really insecure. They don't like themselves. They don't love it. They have got so much more deeper inner child wounds than you and I have, but they just won't acknowledge them and they will blame everybody else. They'll take responsibility for nothing. So it's like, so if they're feeling bad, it must be somebody else's fault. And it was always my fault in my house. I was the one who got the blame for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was the same way. And I, I think that's hard as a child because you're looking at going, well, why, why me? You know, I, I know I, I asked that as an adult, even if I didn't understand, um, you know, out of curiosity, are you still in contact with your mother or have you decided to completely no contact? Interestingly, when, when I started to heal and she couldn't push my buttons and she couldn't get her supply from me, she made up a very elaborate story and cut me off about 10 years ago interesting so she was the one that did the cutting yeah because she wasn't getting her supply from me so she cut me off to find somebody else to get her supply from so yeah 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 I actually had to be the one to put up the boundary um and yeah that was I put up a very like in email very hard do not contact me 10 days later she tried to do the bypass because she my son her grandson had become that person for her and I was like no, you're no more. You're not going to do this to my child because he had started sharing with me. I didn't, I didn't realize it was happening. And that was part of the awakening for me that, oh my gosh, my mother's actually narcissistic. 
because mm. he started sharing. Like, he's like, I don't want to go on vacation with grandma anymore. Why not? You've always gone on vacation with grandma. Well, she's not very nice to me. What do you mean she's not very nice? And then he started like, just as, as a 10 year old child explaining gaslighting to me. And I was like, I never realized that she did this. And that was, it was interesting that he was the catalyst. And I was like, I'm, I'm cutting you off. Um, and that's very, that's just in the last couple of months. Um, I, I mean, personally, and you may share your own thoughts on how you help that, you know, I believe that the only way to deal with a narcissist is to not, to put up that very, very hard boundary of, yeah, no, because they, they will never change. So it's like you either, obviously, like if, if you're a, a parent who's, a, you've got children with a narcissist, you there's ways to sort of like navigate it and deal with it, but it's like minimal contact if, if you can as well, or if you can, yeah completely cut them out of your life because they will never change even if they act like it you know but they'll love bomb you to try and get you back in and do all sorts but at the end of the day they they just want to use you for their what we call their supply there and I say supply because they're like drug addicts or alcoholics Mm -hmm. they need that fix every every day to to soothe their inner child wounds are really really bleeding and how they soothe that is by projecting their hurt and their pain onto other people to make them feel a bit better and it's in it's I always use the analogy that if I give you a gift of a glass bowl once I've given it to you it's now your responsibility so if you drop it and break it that's not my responsibility that's your responsibility and it's the same with narcissistic feelings they feel like that once they've projected it out onto somebody else they haven't got to be responsible for it it's, it's your fault it's you need to deal with that you know, because I've given it to you to deal with because they can't deal with it because narcissists. And I was actually talking to a, a client a couple of days ago. I said, you know, think about your, and it was, a, it was a, an ex-partner. So think about your ex-partner as, and that they basically are toddlers in adults bodies because they can't deal with their emotions. So I just want you to imagine with a really old fashioned baby bonnet on like a hat and a great big dummy. So the next time they start saying really vile things to you, just look at them as like they're a big, great big, huge, huge baby. And she said, oh, I'm not going to be able to, to, to feel the same way about them again. I'm, I'm not going to be able to be scared of them. I'm just going to be smiling, thinking, oh, my goodness, he spat that great big huge dummy out of their mouth. And I said, good, because that's what I want you to think about. Because, you know, we, we blow, you know, as children, the, these narcissistic parents are great big scary people. But actually, they are children that have had temper tantrums. Because if you see a child in a, in a grocery store, having a temper tantrum, think, oh, yeah, she can't deal with her emotions. We expect that. And that's what narcissists are, that they just can't handle their emotions. So they have to project them out onto other people. And it's it's really sad that, you know, I have got compassion for them, but it doesn't excuse the abuse that, that goes on because abuse is abuse. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's it, I love that you you put that analogy because you're right. They They are toddlers. They never emotionally learned how to handle and take responsibility for our own emotions. I was saying this in a recent podcast recording where um, if you are the human being who's asking if you are a narcissist in the relationship, I promise you're not, you're not, they are like, (laughs) because a narcissist would never ask that. No, they, they do not see themselves as a problem in any situation. It is always somebody else's fault. Nope. Somebody else did this. Or, I mean, I, yeah, some of the the crazy, crazy things that I heard both my my mom and my ex say, like it was that, and I'm like, what? You know, I could remember my my ex would punch walls, and and then, like seriously, an hour later, had me convinced that the hole just put itself there. Mm. Like 
what? I watched you punch the wall. Why do I believe that? <laughs> because I wanted so badly for that not to have happened. Yeah. And so I, I was able to convince myself that, oh, and pulling that and away. I say that, that one of the best things that you can do is, as far as starting to heal is as hard as it is, is you stop lying to yourself about who they are. Yeah. That you just, you accept them. And again, you can have compassion for them. Yeah. But you just accept that that's who they are. Yeah. And yeah. so, they, and they're not going to change. I think that that's the other thing is, is that they're not, they're not necessarily capable nor do they desire the change at all. And they just, they actually just get worse as they get older. You know, my mom's like nearly 80 now and, and she just gets worse and worse each year. You know, even though I don't have any contact with her, I still find out via the family the thing that she's, she's doing and going on. It's like, really? <laughs> but yeah. And, but like you said, you know, I've just accepted that the way she is and, and nothing, whatever she does now shocks me or it doesn't activate me or trigger me because, okay, well, that's, that's just a, okay. <laughs> yeah. And you, you put that back, you know, they, they try and, and put, and you just like, nope, boundaries up. That's, that's a you thing. That's, that's yeah. you. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. My, my family recently, <laughs> on behalf of my mother reached out and that was interesting because I had to cut off the entire family. Um, be, yeah, because they don't. And, and I think that was, that was the hard for me was it was like cutting her off was also, you know, my father made his choice. Like he's, I can't have a relationship with him because anything I say to him goes to her. There's yeah. no trust between us. My siblings, same thing. There's no trust between us that I could say anything about anything in my life and it wouldn't end up back to my mother and then twisted around to whatever fix she needed at the time. And so, yeah, I've had to actually cut off the entire family. Um, I don't know if that'll last forever, but that's how it is for now. Um, but it sounds like you and your brother still have a relationship. So it is, and your family still have relationships. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, it's only her that's, that's, um, cause she chose to cut me off. So, um, but I, I refuse to, to, you know, lose the rest of my family just because it doesn't suit her. So and she doesn't like it that I mix with the other family because, you know, I'm the black sheep of the family. I've been called that so many times as well. Like, and I, I'm the toxic poisonous one that is, you know, turning everybody against her. So, you know, I've heard all, all these sorts of stories and stuff, which used to mm -hmm. really, really upset me, but, and now it's like, okay, that, that's just your opinion. That's how, how you feel and, and you're entitled to your opinion. But that's not my belief. No. What are some things that you found, like, because I know when we first start this healing journey, you know, and I know that you're many years down the road and that's, you know, and, and you help other people with this, but what are some ways that you can help reinforce those? Okay, I'm putting up this boundary. How do we reinforce that without falling back? Because our people pleasing is our own habits, but how do we really set that and, and hold those um, to help ourselves heal? It, it's, it's basically keep doing it. And it's like building up a, a, a muscle that learn to say no, because we're so used to that. Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. You're upset because when you first put your boundaries up, you know, people that are benefiting from you not having boundaries will kick off the most and they, they will know how to push your button. So it's being prepared for all those things, thinking, okay, right, they are going to be kicking off. They're going to be doing X, Y, and Z. So I need to, like, you know, be strong and, and maybe have – and I used to have people that I could go to say, okay, well, 
this has just happened, you know, and I really want to do that, but because they're going to be upset, but actually I need to like look after me first. So, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you, you are in the right place to do that. And it's having that support system around you, whether it's other family members or um, close friends that understand what you're going through. So you don't think you're being the mean, selfish one because that's what they'll come out with. Oh, you're being selfish or you've changed. You have, you know, how can you be so selfish after all I've done for you? All I want to do is like, you know, have a loving relationship with you and they'll try and love bomb you to get you back. And then you might sort of wave and think, oh, maybe she has changed. You know, now she's realized that I'm not going to be so easy to sort of like be manipulated. But as soon as they've got you back where they want you, they will just really manipulate you again. So it's being aware of, of what they do and being aware of, of how they they push your buttons and how, how they they can manipulate you, which, you know, again, it's that being truthful with yourself because we think, oh, well, well, she's not that bad because she doesn't like, you know, I've, I've had clients come to me, well, I feel a bit bad saying it about my mother because, you know, um, she never hit me, but, you know, she she was a very covert narcissist and if she was lovely to everybody else. And I thought I was a crazy one. So it's it's having that, building up that strength to have that inner confidence to think, actually, no, this is what I want to do. I've got to think about my own self-care first, which we've never done because we put everybody else before us. When we were children, we put her first or our, our father first, whoever it was, the narcissist, because that was a, a survival mechanism. And then when, if we go on to have children, like we don't want our children to have the life we have. So we kind of put them all first. And then, then this is why I work with midlife women. When the children leave home, they're kind of like, who am I? I've lost who I am. I don't even know who I am. I don't know my identity anymore. And we work through that and discover because I'm a big believer that we're all an ama got an amazing diamond inside of us. Nobody's broken. Nobody needs fixing. We've just got layer upon layer of, of different stories and beliefs that have been piled on us that that we are actually buried underneath there. So what I help my clients do is to to lift those layers of stories and beliefs up that aren't serving them and have beliefs and stories that do serve them so they can actually have that diamond that's already inside of them absolutely shine and be who they want to be. You know, so I never see a broken person when people come to me and say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just feel so broken. I need fixing. It's like, well, I'm not going to fix you because you can't fix something that's not broken. You are a whole person just as you are. It's just the beliefs that you've had, you know, you know, the parent thinking that you're making you think that you're broken. So you don't do what you want to do. And you, you carry on being the person that they want you to be. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I love that because we're not broken. No. I have yet to meet a survivor that isn't the strongest, most amazing, beautiful human that I've ever met. Like, no, you actually got yourself through that. You don't need fixing. You just need to see what I see. So mm. let's... And, you know, I, I've been fortunate, uh, my, my current partner, um, he does that for me. Like he'll say things and I'm like, you see that? I, I always thought that I was kind of crazy and weird to think that that would like, you know, I can remember as a kid just having this somewhere, this teeny tiny little voice inside that was like, you're really amazing. You're so amazing. You're so loving. You're so kind. And I'd be like, yeah, but nobody else says that. So you're lying. And now I'm like leaning back into that voice going, okay, talk a little louder. <laughs> You're actually telling me just, we could say it a little more. And it has, it feels weird and selfish. And like, I remember the first time a, a coach of mine said, say, I love you in the mirror. And I was like, that's weird. Why would I say this to myself? And she goes, mm. just give it a try. And I was like, why would I look at myself and say, I love you? She goes, 
and she like challenged me. I think I had to say it for like every day for 30 days or something like that. And by the end, it was like, oh, I do love me. Oh, you know, and I like, I didn't want to say I love all of me. And so she's like, I don't know. Do you like that freckle? She goes, pick one thing. She, she goes, just start with something small. I was like, oh, it, it, but it really, it, it worked that whole finding the way to say it about ourselves kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's funny that you should mention yeah. that because I actually wrote a book about, um, it's called, you can have it, how to break through the self-sabotage cycle. And one of the chapters is all mm. about loving yourself. And, and it's like, if you don't like your, your whole face or, or your body, just pick one thing, you know, but and I've, always loved my smile because that's the only thing I've ever had like positive comments about to people like oh you've got a really really beautiful smile it really warms the room up I thought, okay I'll start with that okay I've got a beautiful smile like I can do that and I don't have like these voices piling and going no you don't because I grew up hearing that I was ugly every day so and my coach said to me okay just sit in front of the mirror and say you're beautiful and I've never had a stutter in my life but I sat in front of the mirror and going I'm buh, 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 and I couldn't even say the word because this little voice would go no you're not you're ugly no you're not you're ugly and it took me ages and then when people used to say to me oh you know aren't you beautiful I'm like no I'm not ugly and it was like boom straight back to them and that and people oh okay you know but now if somebody says that to me I go okay thank you <laughs> I appreciate you you know but it took a, and the first time I said thank you I appreciate you it was like oh my goodness, does that mean I'm being really, really conceited because I just thank them, you know, and all these little thoughts used to come in my mind. But again, it's the conditioning that I had as a child and those belief systems yeah. that we have. Yeah, and we don't understand how powerful that that belief, that, mm. that underlying, um, as I started getting into my own belief systems with my my current therapist, you know, I used to say things, so funny, I was like, she would say something to me, uh, I, you know, you know, oh, you, you're really smart. And I'm like, I know. And she goes, but do you believe? And I'm like, what? I'm like, I know I am. No, I know I'm smart. She's like, but do you believe that you're smart? Do you believe you're talented? Do you believe you're beautiful? I'm like, there's a difference. <laughs> and there's a difference. It's it's a huge difference to just know something because I think we've learned to just go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And and not accept that as a, oh, oh, wait, no, I feel that. I believe that. that that's a a pulled and I'm, I'm touching my chest, but the pulled into my body space that, Oh, nope. I actually can feel that in my body space. And I, I can remember thinking to myself when I was younger, I need to work on my personality and, and my humor side of me because people aren't going to like me for my, for my look. So maybe they'll like me for my personality and my fun, funny side. And that's what, what I did. And I really believed that people wouldn't, wouldn't like me because I was ugly, but maybe they'd like me if I had a nice personality and if I was funny. So so yeah, it's it, like you say, it's those underlying things that you just don't realize are having such an effect. And when I talk to my clients, because I'm, I'm quite open, as you can see from doing this podcast about sharing my story and, and I will share anything. And then, like, oh my goodness, it's like you're in my head. That's, that's, I didn't realize that until you said it, that affects me in that way too. And it's like, I just thought that was just like the way the women were in our family. And that's just the way our family are, that we are all shut down. We don't talk about emotions, et cetera, et cetera. And when they realize, actually, you know, it's just their mother and, you know, the issues that she has, then they don't have to be like that. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my partner challenged me. Oh, this was, this is probably about a year ago or so that he challenged me. He said, I want you to hear the voice inside of your head. Whose voice is it? And he goes, really, really listen to the sound of it. And I'm like, what's my voice? It's me talking to me. And he, you know, and then learning that not everybody has an inner monologue. 
like people who didn't have childhood trauma don't all have that voice that like just won't stop. Mm. And and it took me a while and I st- finally started tuning in and he goes, sounds like your mother, doesn't it? And I'm like, well, I sound exactly like my mother. And I'm like, he goes, you sound nothing like your mother. And I'm like, no, I talk exactly like her. Like that, um, the way that families do, because we grew up, we had, you know, the same colloquialisms and the same speech pattern. And he goes, he goes, that's just families. All families do that, but you don't sound anything like your mother. He's like, you don't talk like her. You're kind, you're gentle. He goes, and your voice doesn't sound anything like her. But in my head, they were the same. Yeah. So once I finally actually started hearing it in a different voice, I was like, oh, no, that's not me talking. That's my mom. And so I started, that was a really powerful thing for me was like recognizing, oh, no, no. Like you said, you had always been told that you were ugly. See, I had always been told the opposite because everyone, all the women in my family are five foot four and shorter and I'm five ten, And so I was the tall, skinny, beautiful one. But that was the only good thing about me. Mm-hmm. Tall, skinny, beautiful. You you only have a body. That's it. The rest of you is not worthy. But you have to be tall, skinny, beautiful. You have yes. to be that. Your brain's not, nobody's going to like it. And it, it, kind of the exact opposite. No one's going to like you for, for who you are. You have to be tall, skinny, beautiful. Yes. And that was that was because that was what my mom liked to brag about. Oh, I have a And that's a lot of pressure on a, on a child. Huge body image pressure, huge pressure for me. Luckily, I never developed, you know, any um, eating disorders or anything like that. But it was a lot of mental pressure to always be that person. Um, and now, like, you know, I'm I'm 42. I'm not 20 anymore, and I still look at my face and go, I'm I'm beautiful. Not 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 beautiful for my age. I'm just I'm just beautiful. That I can just say that that I accept that, and it doesn't have to be an identity of that's what people like. Um, but that's, that's how the narcissistic parent shows up for you. It's that it's the thing that they can brag about you, you know, to everybody else, except you, they're never going to tell you, but that's the thing that they often make you the most self-conscious about. Um, is that, that one thing. So we are wrapping up at the end of our time. And I always ask my guests, um, if, people are hearing this and watching this and they would really love to get connected with you. I know, like you said, you do have a book. Um, I know that you do lives and all of those kinds of things. What's some really great ways that people could really get connected with you right now, Brooke? They can email me at brooke at brookebounds.com. Um, and I do answer all my emails. Um, I'm, I'm happy to offer a complimentary um, 30 minute call with people and um, see how I can help them out. It's amazing what we can achieve in 30 minutes. Um, I've got a Facebook group called the Confidence Community, um, which is a women's only group, uh, mainly for like women with narcissistic mothers and childhood trauma. So everybody in there knows how everybody else, you know, feels can relate to them. Or they can um, find me on Instagram or on TikTok as well and on Facebook. And if you just type in Brooke Bounds, because it's a very unusual name, I will come up. So. <laughs> nice and easy. So all those links are down in the show notes, whether you're listening or watching this um, click on one of those, get connected. Love the fact that you have a direct email, super easy to get directly connected with Brooke. If you so feel called Brooke, thank you for taking the time to share openly and honestly. Um, I think it's very important for others to know that being vulnerable is acceptable and who you are is just great who you are. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story and, and how you help people here today. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. 
Absolutely. To the audience who joined us today, thank you for listening and watching. And as always, I'm wishing you peace, love, and flow, and may your flow be ever rising. Until next time. Thank you.